If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. Emailtooltester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Liebert Artrick. He serves as a chief marketing officer at Thumbtack. He has over 20 years of experience in international marketing leadership from online marketplaces in the online travel, e-commerce, and ed tech industries. He joins Thumbtack from Udemy, where he served as a senior vice president of marketing responsible for the entirety of the consumer strategy and P&L directly managing a global team of more than 130 employees across paid acquisition, SEO, CRM, pricing, promotions, brand, creative, and communications, all responsible for making Udemy a household name in the learning industry. Lubert's expertise in global digital consumer marketplaces runs very deep. Prior to his five years at Udemy, he spent eight years at eBay, four years at Expedia, holding multiple marketing leadership roles across the entire marketing discipline. 
On the show today, we talk about his tenure at Thumbtack and the first 100 days. How did he approach it? What should we take away as people that might be taking a new role in the future? How is he structuring the marketing department, given the dual-sided marketplace of Thumbtack? How he thinks about integrating brand and performance and how they really need to work together. What's working in Marketing Day and what's not, as well as how to become the CFO's best friend. That and much more with Libert Archer. Lieber, welcome to the show. Hey, Helen. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I know we're going to talk about marketing and, and business and all things Thumbtack. But before we get there, I hear you grew up in one of the world's smallest countries. Tell me a little bit about where that is and, and how it influenced you. Yeah, that's right. I'm from Andorra. Andorra, I think it's the 10th or 11th smallest country in the world. It has all of 70,000 inhabitants. That's the entire country, less than a thousand square kilometers. And yeah, it's in the middle of the, it's between France and Spain in a mountain ridge called the Pyrenees. And Andorra is a tiny speck in the mountain ridge, right? It's a valley. And yeah, so growing there was both great because I got to ski and basically I was part of the mountain lifestyle and was was fantastic. It was also a very, very small. And you can imagine that's growing up in a very contained geographically space with fewer people, then it limits also the perspective on the world. And one of the things that I got since a very young age was a hunger for expanding my views of the world, getting out of that valley and knowing more of the world, which led me to live in five different countries, two different continents over the last 20 years. Right. Well, I'm just curious. I mean, not knowing much about Andorra, sitting, I'm guessing that Spain and France wrap around the country. So you're kind of like an island in the two countries around you. Is that, is that fair to say? Absolutely. If you look at, if you look, if you look at a map, you have France and Spain, which are relatively large countries, and you need to zoom in dramatically to be able to see (laughs) Andorra. It's literally a teeny tiny speck in between those two big countries. I'm just envisioning like, I mean, a group of very potentially proud people, but also surrounded by even more proud larger landmass people <laughs> so, yeah yeah, yeah. Fighting, and, and think, fighting for identity if you will I, you, you nailed you nailed it i think there's there's a a big element of like national pride in this teeny tiny country for having it's one of the oldest countries in the world as well right it, it was founded in the year 1000 so it's been around for a very very long time and it's almost like a geopolitical accident that nobody stepped over and claimed the land and it happened now it has a constitution its own government and so on but again as you grow up an andoran you have a high pride of being independent of being your own country and have your own identity and even your own language right so my mother tongue is catalan and and again that also influenced a lot who i am as a as an individual today right so it's growing with that context wanting to explore the world, but having that strong cultural identity that I carry with me everywhere. I love it. I love it. 
Well, uh, from this small country, uh, what has been your career path? And, and you're now the CMO at Thumbtack. So tell me kind of what were the highlights? Well, I guess first, where'd you get your start? And then what were some of the stops along the way? Yeah, listen, um, one of the advantages of growing in Andorra is that uh, I could have gone into three different educational systems. The Andorran one, which was in Catalan, the Spanish one, which was in Spanish, and the French one. My parents chose to put me in French school, so I grew up speaking French, and I went to university in France. Um, and that basically was an, something that was the very beginning of, of my career, right? So I finished my studies in Barcelona, and from there I started in a small startup doing market research. Very early on, I realized that marketing was really interesting. I, I really connected with it. I, I studied economics at university, but very soon I turned my attention into marketing and I, I, I absolutely loved everything about it. Started doing uh, market research, but my wife and I, but at the time, my, my girlfriend and I wanted to see the world. And at the time, we didn't speak English, not a word, either of us. So we decided one day that we would take the leap and move to London to learn English, spend a year in London <laughs> doing whatever, and come back to Spain and get better, better jobs. So we did that in 2005. And we, as you can imagine, both of us struggled a little bit in uh, small jobs, picking up words in English, until finally I got my lucky break and I, I landed a job at Expedia. Expedia hmm. in London was headquartered in, Expedia Europe was headquartered in London. And I will always remember my interview where I kind of like faked it until I make it, right? So people ask me about, do you know about paid search? Do you know about affiliates? And I was like, of course I know about that. I remember Googling <laughs> the night before what was paid search and affiliates and just basically telling them, listen, I will learn anything I need to learn. I studied at the very bottom of the marketing department there as an assistant, just doing reporting and filling spreadsheets with numbers. And that was really the, the, the break that I needed in order to get my, my start. From there, I spent almost five years at Expedia, grew the ranks, really learning everything about online for real, becoming an expert about on affiliates, <laughs> on paid search, on CRM email, and so on. And then moved to uh, eBay came knocking in 2010. And mm -hmm. I moved to Switzerland. I spent five years in Switzerland doing all kinds of marketing from integrated marketing to mobile marketing to social until I had the opportunity, which was the long-term the long -term goal to move to the US. So in 2015, we, we moved to San Jose where the eBay headquarters are. And then I spent there three years until I moved to Udemy, which is an online learning marketplace. At the time, it was pre-IPO. I got lucky and I managed to, to run the whole department there, the marketing department. IPO'd in 2021 until recently that I moved to Thumbtack. End-to-end, -end, my career really was um, a lot of performance marketing and really building my 360 expertise across branding, performance, CRM, lifecycle. So really trying to uh, gain as much experience and expertise as possible so I could end up where I am today, being the chief marketing officer at Thumbtack. Mm, that's awesome. I mean, it, and 
kudos. I mean, I, I just the notion of going to a foreign country, uh, the UK and London and not knowing English, I'm still, <laughs> I, I'm just kind of like taken aback. I mean, that that's bold. That's bold. And, uh, and you've had a lot of bold moves. Yeah. It was a, it, it's, it's gumbles, but again, one of the philosophies that both my wife and I have abided through our life is like the right path is the hard path. The easy path will, won't pay out, right? So if you want something, just go for it, try and work hard to get there, right? So it's been, it was when I met her, we both said, hey, wouldn't it be great in 1999? Wouldn't it be great to move to the, to the US? And we were like, yeah, that's our dream. And we made it in 2015. So it took us 16 years to make that dream come true. But it happened, right? So persistence. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, tell me a little bit about Thumbtack and the scope of that business today. Yeah, Thumbtack is a uh, two-sided marketplace. And basically what we do is we connect pros with homeowners. Originally, Thumbtack was more of a lead generation business where basically we provided leads to, pro, leads to pros and connected them with someone who needed something done. Originally, the scope was very broad around anything. It could be, I need a DJ or I need to plan a wedding or I need someone to walk my dog in addition to a plumber or an electrician. Uh, lately, in the last couple of years, Thumbtack has narrowed the scope to really be the main service provider for homeowners and pros in the home service industry, right? So what we do is we provide a platform and technology to connect homeowners who need services to take care of their home and the pros who are looking for those customers to grow and manage their business. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And the, and the focus as well, I mean, on a Home services and home ownership is is complex as well. <laughs> so even even though you may have cut off, you know, or or not focused on other areas, I mean, you've got a huge complex space to operate in. Yeah, um, the, the home services industry in the U.S. alone, it's a six hundred billion dollar industry, right? Six hundred wow. billion, and most of it happens offline today, right? So yeah. when you think about yeah a need, right? So when you're, you're a homeowner, potentially, Alan, I don't know, but if you're a homeowner, I am, yes, <laughs> you are. Right? So, so if you, when, when you think about, Hey, I need to fix my roof or I need to get my pool cleaned, you mm. more often than not probably look at your neighbors and ask them, Hey, do you know someone, right? So word of mouth is really a big part of this industry. And the problem with word of mouth is like, it's a hit and miss. You never know how it's going to mm is going to work, right? And you never know whether you're actually going to find someone who's going to give a proper recommendation. This is where Thumbtack really comes in. It's the ability, taking the stress out of finding the pro, the right pro, someone you can trust, someone who's backed by a trustworthy entity, right? And giving you guidance on what kind of project you should be doing, helping you plan, helping you make sure that everything goes according to plan, right? And there's a I, and you might relate to that. Um, there's a certain level of anxiety when it comes to taking care of your home because yes. when you buy a home, it's the biggest investment you make in your entire life and nobody tells you how to manage it. You buy a car <laughs> and it comes with a very clear set of instructions. After 10,000 miles, do an oil check. 
after 50,000 miles change your brake pads, right? When you buy a home, nobody tells you, hey, check your aircon filters. How often do I need to do X and Y, right? There's no real guidance. And this is where Thumbtack steps in, really helping being the partner for homeowners to really take care of their homes. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I mean, and I actually have used Thumbtack and I think I found, trying to remember which service I was, I was just completely, when you talk about a $600 billion industry that is offline, most like, mostly it's, I would add a adjective painfully offline. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was looking for somebody to refinish some wood floors, which I've never done in my entire Mm -hmm. life in this new house. And I needed it done very quickly because we wanted it done before the furniture showed up, of course. Uh, so right after we bought the house, but before the furniture shows from the moving truck. And uh, I'm pretty sure, I know it was Thumbtack that I used and they did a great job. So thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for using <laughs> uh, us. Yeah, well, I mean, otherwise I, I was new to the area, had no idea, you know, I didn't even know my neighbors. It was during COVID too, on top of everything. So like you, your neighbors didn't even really want to talk to you because... everyone was avoiding people. So it was like a hyper extreme case, but definitely helped find my my wood floors refinisher. Yeah, and it's really hard, right? So sometimes you think you know what the problem is, but you may not know, right? I mean, one of the things that happened to me is like there was a stain in my ceiling and I was like, well, I need the plumber because maybe there's some leaking, but it it wasn't that, it was just mold and I I needed someone to come in paint over it and dry it and so on, but there was no, I was making the wrong assumptions. And this is where, right. again, a service like Thumbtack really helps because again, it provides guidance on not only who to hire, but what's the problem and how to get the guidance. And eventually even really thinking about the long-term care of your home by helping you plan ahead of time, sometimes even quarters and, and, and years ahead of like, okay, I need to do a yearly check on my roof. I need to clean my pool spring before this is the, the temperatures go up, right? And really take the mm-hmm. guesswork out of home care and really help people with proactive advice and guidance and planning. Awesome. Well, you are relatively new to the company mm-hmm. uh, in, this, in this CMO role. How, you know, we always hear about first 100 days or an important milestone, important part of taking on a new role. How did you approach your first 100 days? Yeah, that's a great question. Something that I thought a lot about before joining. And I as traditionally 30, 60 and 90 days, right? So my first 30 days, I just listened. I was the dumbest person in the business. I knew nothing about <laughs> the industry. And I focused all my attention in listening to my peers, listening to different stakeholders, listening to my team, and just starting to build a mental map of what that business is and the industry, right? And listening to customers, both on the supply and the demand side, right? And really getting that context, building the context around what is Thumbtack and what are the opportunities, the pain points, and the things that I should be asking question about, which is the 60 to 90 days, right? So I turn listening into the, sorry, 30 to 60 days. I turn listening into, into questions, right? I started asking a lot of questions or why this, why that? 
how are we operating? Why are we doing this? How do we optimize our marketing budget? And starting to really get even deeper into the different aspects of both the business dynamics, but also the marketing function uh, extensively as well. And ultimately, the 60 to 90 days was really starting to formulate a plan, a strategy based on everything that I heard, collaborating with my leadership team in reorganizing the marketing function, uh, making tweaks, building and defining a market charter for the organization. So who do we want to be as a marketing organization? And basically uh, restructuring. So we align with not only the charter and the vision, but also with the company, the company strategy and goals, right? So we did that at the 100-day mark, something like that. Mm, I love it. I love it. I mean, and I think giving yourself... I think a lot of people go into a role and they don't give themselves the time to listen and question like you did. And I do think that's a fundamental mistake. I don't, I don't know if you would agree with that, having gone through this recently, but it, you know, I think it gives you, it, it actually empowers you to, to make stronger plans when you get to that phase. I think the, the most valuable part of it is it prevents you from brushing and making rush decisions with little data or context, right? And, and I think right. this was the most valuable part. And I've been on the other side. I've come into jobs and said, hey, I know this. I've, I've been doing this for a long time, so we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And yes, maybe you do know, but what you don't understand is that this is a new context, a new set of people, a new set of problems that may seem familiar because it's marketing, but at the same time, it's completely different because, again, it's a different context, a different industry, and so on. So giving yourself time to really listen and validate either your assumptions and hypotheses or actually generating new ones because now you have more context, I found that to be very powerful. And it's aligned with kind of the type of leader that I want to be, which is someone who is in service of the teams and the business versus someone who is an expert that directs and tells how things should go, right? That's, that's not who I am. That's not the kind of leader that I want to be. And I don't think it's the kind of effective leadership that works for a high growth kind of digital business like Thumbtack. Hmm. Well, so you talked about the, the fact that Thumbtack's a dual-sided marketplace. As you've now got like your feet under you, you're starting to make plans around marketing. How are you structuring marketing given that like dual-sided marketplace? Yeah, that's a great question. So the important part to know as well is that I am both the CMO, but also I am the accountable, directly accountable individual for the customer, right? So from my customer purview, I'm responsible for all of the company metrics that link to the demand side. And that includes, but it's not limited to marketing, but also product experience and basically anything that touches the customer directly, right? So one of the things that I've done is make sure that the strategy to deliver value for customer is aligned to the roadmaps, the plans, the strategies for both marketing, product, engineering, data science, finance, and so on, right? So really thinking about the business collectively and bringing that customer centricity to the full, right? Then obviously, um, marketing serves more than the customer, the demand side customer, there's the, the supply side customer, which is we would call the pros, right? 
And mm -hmm. in terms of organization, we have a very traditional, well, I'm not, I don't know if it's traditional, but it's a very intuitive organization, which is basically the growth marketing paid performance. We have our life cycle and engagement uh, side that includes product marketing. We have brand and creative, and we have uh, communications, PR, internal comms, brand, uh, employee brand, right? Within those functions, there is a focus on the customer and a focus on the, on the pro. So each of the key functional marketing disciplines serve both the homeowner from a demand side and the pro from a supply side. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Uh, I love that. I mean, I, I really like the fact that they both have to serve both sides of the both sides of the market, if you will. So they have to naturally understand the complexities and the the duality, if you will, of what you're trying to create. And you didn't separate them, so you've got some people focused only on the pros and some people only focused on the homeowners. Uh, correct. The idea of having the organization be functional and and, and skill set is because, again, there's a lot of value on having people who are experts on Google paid search, right? And mm -hmm. uh, how to communicate to cost to, to homeowners versus pros fits well into that skill set. And then we do different targeting, different variations. And that's how you split a little bit the, the work. Right. I've, I've been in, in different situations in a marketplace context where organizations are purely demand versus supply. For our business today in its current uh, stage, the synergies you get from functional expertise and skill set uh, uh, is, is more beneficial or the synergies you get are higher than if we were purely supply versus demand. And that's where the, the DRI, the, the directly responsible individual framework comes, comes in, right? So I have a, a bias towards the customer because that's my broader remit the chief commercial officer has a bias towards the, the pro, and that's his broader remit. Together, we balance supply and demand, but functionally, we serve both. Interesting, interesting. Well, you're in a very digital space, mm -hmm. and you've got a heavy performance background as well before coming into this role. How are you thinking about like getting brand and performance kind of working together? Yeah, yeah, this is my favorite topic of all time because it's such a hard nut to crack right and yeah. the way at the end of the day it's 
almost raises to the level of philosophical debates. And <laughs> the reason why I joined Thumbtack is because my philosophical approach to this was very much aligned with Marcos, our CEO, who is also a very data-driven performance person. So the approach is we have guiding principles. We want to operate as a profitable company and we want to gain as much market share as we possibly can. And we want to build an endurable brand. Those three things are the ambition. But from a ranking stack ranking perspective, profitability comes first, gaining market share comes second, and building the brand, endurable brand is third, right? So that operating philosophy actually is, expands to how we deploy dollars from a marketing perspective. Our performance marketing is very much data-driven, is very much ROI-focused, is very direct response, is really making sure that every dollar we spend can be accounted for, we understand what the marginal return is on every single dollar, and so on and so forth, right? And mm -hmm. we are building a room within our performance to experiment and test and do bigger, broader investments that will unlock the power of the branding activity, right? So an example is we set ourselves a, a contribution a revenue target. As we exceed and hit that, we create bandwidth to invest more heavily on elements of the marketing stack that are less contribution in period than some of the direct response. And we're building a framework that allows us to take a look at how this investment will pay off in the second quarter, the third quarter, or the fourth quarter after the activity is, is, is launched. So in summary, what I'm trying to do here, and this is kind of like the thesis, is we want to build a brand that people will know and recognize within a framework of performance that contributes to having a profitable company that controls its own destiny without having to blow a hole in the PL because we want to do a big budget brand campaign, right? We want to do that, mm -hmm. but being contribution and uh, profitable, uh, profitability conscious. Yeah. No, I, I really like that notion of, in my words, I'd say like you earn, earn your way above target to, to then try some different things, right? Exactly. Like once you've delivered on the profit and on that target that you set out for yourself, then anything above and beyond that, you can flex and, and shake things up a little bit. And, and for most marketers who are listening to this podcast, they will probably have heard many times, hey, you need to invest in brand because the payoff, and you need to do that consistently because the payoff is going to come six, nine, 12 months down the line. And I do believe in that premise. I absolutely believe in that. And this is what this framework will allow us to do, which is basically do small investments now that, are, that won't pay in period, but and measure how that return happens three months, six months, 12 months down the line, but do it in a way that actually is additive to the business and profitability versus making huge investments, hoping for the best, and then realizing that you don't see how the, 
the needle is moving because you're doing it in a way that is too broad, right? And that's where mm. our approach is very, very local. Taking one or two cities, one or two DMAs, and really investing heavily in those, but in the overall scheme of things, it's a very small investment, right? So can we move the needle there and then build up from that point? Love it. Well, I mean, you're building, I think, a pretty elegant system. Where are you seeing just the gaps in marketing? And we're not talking about necessarily specific with Thumbtack, but just mm -hmm. marketing in general. Like what's working, what's not working today in your mind? I think it's it's very much related to what we, we talk about, right? I think yeah. in my experience, you have very unfairly, marketers have been classified as either performance or brand, right? It's like, oh, you're either mm -hmm. a brand expert or you're a performance expert. And if you're a performance expert, then you're expected to uh, know a lot about incrementality and media mix modeling and attribution and so on and so forth, right? And you have a brand marketer, then you're expected to talk creative and talk value proposition and so on. And the reality is that marketers should be fluent in both on everything, right? If you want to really be a, mm -hmm. a strong marketer. And I think that's where a little bit historically the industry has not really caught up, right? So we've built extreme um, tool set tooling to measure the end degree of these digital direct response channels, but we have not invested enough on understanding how the investments in brand relate to that, right? That's from a digital first perspective. And from a CPG, more traditional branding, they invest tons and tons of money on brand and so on and don't believe necessarily so much in performance. At the end of the day, my strong belief is that true success will come in the form of 360, as 360 approach where we leverage the channels to meet customers where they are. If they're watching TV, you should be there. If they're on social, you should be there. If you're on, if they're searching something on Google, you should be there, right? And driving the right value and being able to measure impact and performance across the whole spectrum. Right, right. I mean, if I, I were to translate that into some other folks that have been on the show, I mean, like, I agree with you, like the 360 approach and, and your notion of like, where are they showing up and we need to be there. But also like we need to find and capture the signals of those people that are in market, right? And it's it's both of those things that the, like simultaneously need to be happening. It's hard to disconnect the two, if yeah. you will. And it's um, very hard because it all depends on where you start, right? And if you start yeah. as a traditional marketer who's basically focused on awareness and consideration and has a very big budget on offline media, TV, and so on, it's very hard to transition into a data-driven performance digital first approach. And the converse is also true. So it's really building that, what, what, what I was describing earlier, building a discipline that will blend both and that will allow not only for marketing budgets to be unlocked, but to build. And this is something that it's kind of my personal goal in life is be the CFO's best friend, right? So CFO <laughs> won't come to me yeah. saying, what are you doing? You're blowing the budget. It's like, no, I understand the value that marketing is driven. I believe in the data that you put out there and I want to invest more money because I know that however and whatever you're doing is actually translating into value for the business long-term. 
Yeah. Well, you beat me to the punch because I was going to ask you that. Like, how do you befriend the, the CFO? And, and I mean, obviously, it's like what you said, which is making sure you understand the levers of the business and how it's how what you're doing is delivering. But would you? Is there anything else? Any other secrets you might tell us? Well, so yes, I think one. one I'm I'm pretty sure that a lot of our performance marketing listeners here will 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 resonate with that too, which is. Very often, when marketing thinks about return, we think about an LTV perspective. We think 12, 24, 36 months ahead of time, right? So it's like we acquire someone today, but we know that this customer will spend money with us for the foreseeable future. So we tend to rationalize our marketing spend in relation of the future value that this customer will bring to the business now. Mm-hmm. The CFO doesn't see it like that. The CFO is like, hey, you spend X amount of money today. How much cash do I have now in return in the bank account? And he's looking very much at today. So finding a way of translating that long-term versus the short-term, right? And connecting the investment today with the, the future return is really the way to speak the, the CFO. So building a framework, as I was saying, that will get the CFO to understand the future value, being very clear on the LTVs, being very clear on the return of investment based on an LTV of 12 months, but at the same time, keeping a very tight look at contribution for the business in period for the current quarter so our objectives are aligned. So my teams have both a LTV ROAS target to achieve and any period contribution guardrail, they cannot go under up, right? And that's kind of how you balance both the equation. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And thanks for breaking that down. Because I don't think, I mean, we've talked about it a, a, a number of times on this show, but I don't think we've gotten down to the, the specific measures that you're looking at. So I appreciate that. I'm, I'm kind of just taken aback because you... You've really got, I think, a really nice framework for how to manage marketing and how to manage the marketing of this business in particular. And and you are making a lot of headway just understanding the business in a very short amount of time and making making an impact. So kudos to you yeah. on that. It's no easy task. I mean, <laughs> new like you said, I think earlier, you know, it's new, a new business, new people, new industry. There's a lot of new to get to conquer to get to where you are already. So. No, I I appreciate that. And listen, there's a lot of the last five years in my time at Udemy that I've taken here and then I'm using a lot of this context here. But the truth is like, I'm I'm really fortunate. Thumbtack is a fantastic place to work that I have a lot of great colleagues and peers and, and people in my team who've spent countless hours to, with a lot of patience to help me understand the ropes of the business and catch me up to speed. So I owe them a debt of gratitude to be able to speak and understand the business the way I do today, because otherwise it would have been 10 times harder. Well, we've come to that part of the show where I ask my favorite question that I love asking everyone that comes on. So here we go. What experience of your past defines or, or makes up who you are today? So I, yeah, this is, yeah, I lost my dad when I was 11 years old. Uh, he had mm-hmm. cancer and passed away. And from that moment on, my household kind of fell a little bit in disarray, right? He, he was kind of 
the rug and then we are three children and my mom uh, was a waitress and she had to basically raise three children on her own on a waitress salary. So very early on, I realized that if anything were to happen in my life, I would have to work hard for it. And that's kind of been the guiding thread of my career, work really, really hard, try to be the best at whatever I do, learn from others, surround me from people who are smarter, better than I am, so I can become better and smarter every time. So that work ethic and discipline came from a real place of need, because otherwise I, I wouldn't had the opportunities or the chance to to really be where I am today, which is the other another continent, and that's not a given for someone with my background. Well, thank you for sharing that, mm-hmm. and uh, what a what an amazing mom. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's a huge burden to to shoulder uh, three kids alone, and I can only imagine a very demanding job on top of it. So. That's right. Well, uh, what advice would you give your younger self if you were starting this journey all over again? I, yeah, I would say take more time to enjoy what you do, right? So because of this anxiety of not making it or failing, I spend a lot of time. One of, I love my job. I absolutely adore marketing. I've enjoyed every single minute of my 20-year career. I wouldn't change it for anything. I wish I had enjoyed it a bit more, relaxed a bit more, not worry about outcomes or promotions or being the best because it takes a toll in emotionally and mentally doing that. So knowing that there's a place and room for working hard, but there's also, and it's even more important, room and place for relaxing, enjoying your family friends and, and having a life, right? So I would go back and say, work as hard and work smarter so you get where you are, but you're actually enjoy the process and not stress about it. I love that sentiment. Well, what, is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about, or maybe it's something that you're trying to learn more about yourself? Oh, yes. I mean, surprise, surprise, <laughs> AI, right? <laughs> gen- right. Gen- generative AI is, I think it's going to be such a disruptive force in basically everything and marketing uh, particularly. I think there is right now already an array of, applications on on AI and marketing that are super interesting, right? So I keep coming up with posts on LinkedIn and articles on Adweek how some companies are already using AI to amazing creatives, to increase productivity from a content perspective, to have guides created by machines, right? And it changes kind of the role, certain roles within within marketing, right? So if you're a writer, then uh, most likely the future looks like that less writing and more editing, right? And using AI generative tools for productivity, right? I think the human element is always going to be important, but now you have tools that allow you to be more productive. One of the challenges that I have working for a pre-IPO company 
is budgets are tight and are limited, right? So if we want to do a lot of testing and experimentation from a creative standpoint, we cannot always go and hire talent and, and, and do big budget productions. We need to be scrappy and we need to find ways of actually creating low budget assets so we can test and experiment and so on. I think generative AI is getting there that's going to allow us to do that. And let alone, right, that's the other part, really gathering all of the data that you have from a customer, from socioeconomics, social demographic, attitudinal, behavioral interaction with your properties to really make the right decisions when it comes to engaging and talking to a customer, right? I think there's a disruption coming on the life cycle management side of the customer that machine learning, AI modeling will unlock. And I'm hoping that's kind of a dream of mine that we get really now to the one-to-one personalization, knowing what every individual needs at a given point in time, because our computational power and AI is able to understand and talk to the customer at that one-to-one framing. We've talked about it in the industry for years. I think now it's becoming a reality. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, no, it sounds it sounds pretty interesting. I mean, and we'll see how it develops as well. I mean, it's changing every day. <laughs> so it's, you know, you have to be learning because otherwise you're going to be left behind. Yeah. So, well, two more questions for you. Are there any trends or subcultures that you follow or you think other people should be taking notice of? Well, I mean, I'm a triathlete and I, I, mm-hmm. I work out a lot and I pay a lot of attention to sports marketing and how the industry there is evolving and thinking about connecting fashion with the brands and how that aligns. And I find that really interesting. I love the traditional sponsorships, football club Barcelona, soccer team is kind of my team. And I I love when I see brands associated and, and taking and building equity because of that. But I think there's an element of digitalization using social media trends, TikTok to really connect passions and sports with with brands that I think is in the last 10 years has been has been expanding. So I'm paying attention to that as well in in how to apply it for 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 the brands I work for. Awesome. Well last question for you and it, it may be a, a theme we've already talked about, but what do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? I think, yeah, I think we talked about it, right? It's, it's not assuming that we know everything that it is to know about marketing. I, I don't think it's the case, right? I think there is sometimes a false sense of precision that we build into frameworks and modeling and performance and what we know about driving value to customers that is very dangerous. I think we all should be very wary and aware that there is no such thing as a perfect way of measuring or delivering value to a customer. And therefore, we should always be questioning whether what we're doing is valuable and what are the the downsides of, of doing so, right? And I'm thinking specifically from a performance perspective, if you use a last touch attribution or a multi-touch attribution, you know that those are indicative, but they're not perfect, right? And therefore, just always right. questioning what you know in order to 
continue evolving and improving the practice. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, Levert, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your insight, your knowledge, your, your your approaches to your first 100 days as well. It's It's been truly enlightening. Thank you very much for having me, Alan. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, the Kantar podcast, now. Marketers and business owners, you've been pining after a certain someone. Your job's on the line. You're desperate for them to like you back. Here's a word of advice from me. Talking is hot. Just you and them, finally alone, like us two right now. Maybe under the duvet, headphones on, one-on-one. Podcast advertising is proven to be one of the best ways to catch their attention. So surprise them while they're tuned in, while the moment's right. Say a line or two that really gets them going. Next time, if you want to win over your special someone and build some brand love, experiment with something new, just focus on your voice. Advertise on more than 100,000 podcast shows with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.